0: good morning welcome to grace if y'all will stand with us we're gonna sing out together um and this is a kind of a more traditional uh, easter song to sing and it has a great easter word alleluia in it um and just so we all know what that means basically that just means praise the lord um so we're gonna say these statements together and then after them say alleluia which just means praise the lord so let's let's sing out together to our god
1: You'll bow your heads with me. I'm going to read from 1 John chapter 3 and we'll enter a time of confession together. Please bow your heads and listen to God's Word. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears... We shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. Father God, we come before you as a people that confess that we are not yet what we will be. We are not yet what we should be. We confess that we have all fallen short of your glory. That we have all strayed away from your design for us as those that would bear your image in the world. As those that would reflect you to those around us love and with justice. Father, we confess that to you and we take hope that your son paid the price for it, that we are forgiven because you've laid our sins on Jesus at the cross. And we take hope that someday we will be complete, that you will transform us more and more every day and someday when your son returns, we will be like him. Lord, that's what we look forward to. That's the promise that we take hope in as we think about and pray about and remember your resurrection you conquered death and so that we look forward to someday conquering death ourselves. And I pray that you'd help us to live in light of that reality, that we would live as if we really are forgiven, Lord, that we would really believe it, that we would really walk in freedom, that you would transform us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: scar was my sin that But <laughs>
0: thank you for your power. God, it was displayed for us as you conquered sin and death. God, we, we thank you that you have proven that you can do the same in our lives. God, we pray that you will do that more and more each day. God, help us to listen now to your word. God, we pray that you will change us, make us more like you. That's your name we pray. Amen.
1: Well, good morning again. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 20. And if you don't have a Bible, we should have some under the chairs, and you can grab one of those if you want, one of those black Bibles, we're on page 906 in John chapter 20. I'm going to read a couple of verses from John 1, and then we're going to spend the rest of our morning in John 20, so if you want to kind of have a finger in both sides, it's page 886 in those same black Bibles, and then page 906. The, uh, the book of John is written for the purpose that people would believe, and that's what we're calling our sermon this morning. The title is Believe, and that's a challenge for those of us that don't believe at all, for people that are struggling to know if any of this is true, if any of this stuff about Jesus is real. It's a challenge to believe at all, and it's a challenge for those of us that have believed for many years to keep believing. Because we see abuse, and we see pain, and we struggle, and we fall, and it's, it's a struggle to continue believing, to keep believing through all the difficulties of life. And so I want to challenge us this morning as we think on Easter Sunday about the resurrection, about the reality of this Jesus who conquered death and rose from the grave. I want to challenge us to believe, and I want to look at the evidence and the reasons why we might believe. And kind of the problem, as John sees it, as the author of the Gospel of John sees it, is laid out in chapter 1. And then the whole book of John then is the solution. The problem is in John 1, and it says in 1, 10 through 13, He was in the world, and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. But to all who did receive Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but born of God. And that's the problem that all of humanity finds itself in. Romans 1 makes it real clear that all of humanity is suppressing this truth, that we see in creation this world that Jesus made, this world made by God, and we can see his divine character and his attributes, and we see God, but all of us as human beings turn the other way. We say, no, I'd rather do life on my own. I'd rather do it apart from God. I will not believe. And we suppress the truth. And the way John words it is, he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And so the challenge is to look at this Jesus and to believe that he is who he said he is. That God really does have a plan for us. He hasn't just left us to wander this broken planet, but he has a plan. And he's pursuing us. And that's what we see really in the whole gospel of John. I'd encourage you to read the gospel of John if you're new to the Bible, it's a great place to start. I was telling the uh, the service earlier, if you think about the gospels, all four gospels are kind of different perspectives, and you could kind of think of the other gospels more like documentaries and John more like an epic movie. He kind of he packages it a little. It's a little more clean, it's a little easier to zip through, a little easier, I think. Maybe it's just kind of the style and who we are as a culture in this time and place. He kind of wrote it more for the, uh, for the Greek mindset and the mystic mindset. And I think maybe that's a little more where we are in culture in 21st century America. But, but it's, it, it seems to me is one of the easiest gospels to read. If you're just beginning to investigate, who is this Jesus? I'd encourage you to read John. And we'll see in John chapter 20. And as I said, we'll look at this more in detail, but I'm going to read just verse 30 and 31 where John gives his purpose for writing this gospel. He says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the chosen one to save us, the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why he wrote that book. That's why we're going to look at it this morning. And uh, why don't I pray and ask the Lord to, uh, to teach us, open our eyes. Let's pray. Father God, we, uh, we pray that you would teach us this morning. You would open up our eyes, open up our hearts to receive you. As it says in John 1, to all who received you, to all who believed in your name, you gave the right to become children of God. And so, Father, I pray that we would be your children, that we would believe. For those of us that have already believed, uh, that we would continue on, that we would continue in belief. And for those of us that continue to doubt, uh, that you would open minds and open hearts for the first time that we would hope, that we would hope in your resurrection, in your life. We pray your spirit would come and apply your words to us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. As I said, Romans 1 paints this picture, and and you kind of see it confirmed in John 1, that that we're suppressing the truth, that God made us, but we kind of want to distance ourselves from God, and that he's sending these messages. He's giving us warning signs, and we're ignoring the warning signs. He warns us that we can't live life, we can't have a full life apart from him, and we, we ignore that. And we say, no, that, it'll be fine. It'll work out. I can, I can do this on my own. I don't really need to pay attention to these warning signs. And as I was thinking about this, I remembered a time when I had sensed some warning signs and ignored them uh, to my own detriment a few years ago. And some of you have heard this story before if you've been at the church very long, but it was December 2005. Uh, and I smelled a strange smell. And and I didn't exactly know what the smell was, but I should have taken it as as a warning sign. And I was there with my two younger children. My wife had left to take my oldest child to a a birthday party, so she wasn't there. Um, And I was just kind of trying to go about my business. I thought, hmm, that's weird, strange smell. Okay, I'll go on about my business, you know? And Uh, We had stained a chair that day, so I thought, well, maybe it's the stain. Maybe it has some kind of funky odor. I don't know know what it was. Um, And then the breaker started flipping off. And just so you don't think I'm totally crazy, I didn't worry about it too much because we lived in an old house. And so breakers were always going on and off in this old house. So the breaker went off, and I looked around, didn't see anything bad, and I turned the breaker back on. The lights came back on. And this happened three or four times before my wife got home. My wife came home and she immediately said, something's burning. Something's burning. Something's on fire. And I'm thinking, no, I, th- I think it's just the chair. We just stained the chair. I think everything's fine. And the breaker goes off. I crank the breaker back on again. Oh, no, I no, think, I think everything's okay. No, honey, something's burning. Seriously, really. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll, we'll look around. And I, we start to investigate. And we walk around and we, we figure out it smells the strongest in our bedroom, and finally we open the closet door, and just you know, billows of smoke just blow out of the closet door. And there's a fire in the attic and the ceiling, basically, of that closet. That closet ceiling is on fire, uh, and so you know, we call 911. We get the kids out of the house, and the next thing you know, we're sitting on our uh, front lawn watching the firemen go in through the front of our house to to put out this fire. And, and I wish now that I'd listened that I believed the warning signs that I first heard. You know, when I smelled the funny smell, I probably should have investigated a little more. When the breakers went off, I probably shouldn't have kept feeding the fire and cranking them (laughs) back on again and again. I probably should have paid attention that there was something wrong. And that's the position that we as humanity find ourselves in. We, We can see there's clearly something wrong. The world is broken. The world is messed up. And the brokenness is not just out there. That's a favorite game we like to play, right? We say, it's those people. It's their fault. And if we can take care of them, then I would be fine. But if we're really honest, we recognize that the brokenness that's out in the world is in us too. And there's something wrong with us. And there's something wrong with the world. And the challenge is, are we going to believe the solution? Are we going to listen to the warning signs that we've been given and pay attention? Are we going to kind of go... Yeah, something's not right, but it'll be fine. And we'll just go about our business and, and blow it off. Or will we pay attention to the warning signs? Will we listen to the signals that are being sent our way? The, the first thing I want to challenge us, us with out of, out of John chapter 20 is to recognize that, that we are called to believe something that really is shocking. Called to believe a surprise. And so we're calling this first section, just, just believe the surprise. And, and we can see with the disciples that the disciples were surprised too. It's not, that, it's not like the disciples, the first followers of Christ said, oh yeah, this resurrection thing, I got it, I'm all over it, and, and then we're supposed to follow in their footsteps and go, oh yeah, that's easy to believe, no big deal. Guy rose from the dead. Okay, let's move on with our life and believe. It's, it's not that easy to believe. It is a surprise. It was a shock even to the disciples because just like in the world we live in today, in the world in the first century, when people would die, they would generally stay dead. They... They wouldn't rise again. And it's easy with the distance of 2,000 years to think, oh, yeah, that was normal back then, but we live in a different world now where people don't rise from the dead. No, people didn't rise from the dead then either. It was bizarre then, just like it's bizarre now. It was a surprise. It was shocking. It was something that, that freaked out the disciples. I, I was thinking about surprise, and kind of, sometimes surprises are fun, right? A, a lot of times that's kind of the heart of humor is something you, you don't expect, um, sometimes with your kids, they do something crazy, and you need to discipline them. But you're kind of laughing out the side of your mouth, you know, and you're trying to kind of laugh this way and move them, you know, to a different location. Um, one time, when my son had first learned to walk, I just had walked into—I mean, he'd only been walking for like two days. He basically like learned to walk, climb, and sprint all in the same, all in the same breath. And I walked into our dining room, and I found my son walking across our dining room table what is he doing? It was such a shock. It was just like this out of, you know, the week before he'd been crawling and half the time he couldn't even crawl straight. He would crawl backwards half the time. But, you know, one week he's crawling and the next week he's toddling across our dining room table like some sort of, you know, monster or something. I I found a a picture of a little kid toddling there. It was about the size he was. Um, That's not him. He kind of looked like that though. But but, you know, just this little baby toddler walking across our dining room table and just thinking, well, of course, if I can walk on the carpet, why wouldn't I walk on the table? You know, and so I'm, I'm laughing, I'm trying to remove him out of the way. And, and I wonder, I don't, I don't know, I wonder if the disciples had this mix of, of horror. I mean, we know they were afraid, but maybe also laughter at just the amazing thing that had happened, that he actually rose from the dead. They're like, what? I mean, yeah, I know he said he was going to die and rise from the dead, but we didn't really think that would happen, did we? And that's where the disciples find themselves in John 20. In verse 1, it says, On the first day of the week, in John 20, verse 1, On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark. And she saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved. That's John's funny little way of referring to himself. I'm the one that Jesus loved, too. So I always thought that was kind of weird. So... He, he doesn't just say John. It's, it's his favorite. Jesus' favorite here, John, says, The one whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Mary Magdalene, is she's freaked out. She's panicked. This is a surprise. She, they don't all, like, march in order to the tomb and go, All right, well, he should rise from the dead now, because he said third day. You know, he's going to be gone. And uh, it's not like they're expecting it. They don't walk in with their schedule and say, Okay, well, this is the next thing on the Messiah's agenda. He's going to rise from the dead. No, they're, they're all confused. They're in a panic. Uh, she's there. She runs back. She finds a couple of disciples. They run in. It, it's just it's chaos. She thinks someone has stolen the body. Some authors will stress that it, what's important to see in these different records we have of, of the resurrection of Jesus and all the different gospels and the other records is that, is that we have both an empty tomb and appearances of Jesus. If we just had appearances, people would say it was a ghost. We just had an empty tomb. People would say they stole his body. But, but together it becomes clear that, that he rose from the dead. And so at first they're like, someone must have stolen his, uh, his body. She says they've taken the Lord out of the tomb. We don't know where they've laid him. Verse 3. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them running together. But the other disciple outran. Peter, we, we understand that, that uh, John was kind of a young buck. So John outruns Peter. He gets to the tomb first in verse 5. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he didn't go in. I'd be a little scared myself. Verse 6 says, Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the other linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. A lot of people like to point out how interesting that is because if someone had stolen the body, they would have probably taken the body with all the mummy cloths wrapped on it and ran out the door. They wouldn't have taken off the body wrappings and then taken the head wrapping and neatly folded it and then said, all right, let's, now let's carry the dead body out. It, it appears that Jesus got up and took his stuff off and laid it down there in the tomb. In verse 8 it says, Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first, again John, he also went in. And he saw, and he believed. And Again, that's, that's the call to us, that we would believe, that we would see the evidence before us, and that we would believe. Verse 9 says, For as yet, he, he's helping us understand why this was so odd, that John actually believed. Verse 9, For as yet, they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. They, they didn't get it. Like I said, they'd been told again and again. Jesus told them, I'm going to die. And in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. And he says here, they, they still didn't understand it. They didn't get that he would die. They didn't get that he would rise from the dead. And it says in verse 10, then the other disciples went back to their homes. And, and then it tells us that Jesus appeared then personally to Mary Magdalene. And then later, he appeared to other disciples. And when you read the other accounts, the, the picture that we build as part of this package of surprise in the resurrection is all four Gospels testify to the fact that Jesus appeared to the women first. Amen. Yeah, amen, thank you. <laughs> Got our feminists on the front row there. He, he, appeared, to the, he appeared to the women first. And, and what's amazing about that is, is again, this is the this is surprise. This is a shock of the resurrection. Because if we were, we were going to make up these stories, we, we wouldn't use women as the first witnesses because women weren't trusted as witnesses in that day. I'm not saying that was right, but they were not trusted in that day as witnesses. They were not seen as reliable witnesses in court. So nobody in their right mind, if they're going to make up a bunch of stories about some saviors, are, they're not going to all compile their lists and go, yeah, in my story I had the women as the first witnesses. Yeah, in my story I did too. In my story I did too. Isn't that interesting? And they laid out different pieces of it. You get little different bits and pieces, different time uh, parts of the story. You know, when you, when you lay them all together, they don't all lay out exactly the same... But they all agree that the women were the first witnesses. And it's just one more surprise about the resurrection that also confirms its reality. That it also helps us to see that this, this is a historically reliable document. This is a document where the people don't try to, uh, try to fool us, but they give us just the facts as they are. They say, here are the facts. The disciples were confused, just like us. The disciples lacked faith, just like we do. The disciples, the leaders of our movement struggled and fell and didn't know what was going on, and and they were in chaos. They weren't some kind of superheroes that were different than us. They were people like us that struggled to believe. They were in process. They were learning. They were growing just as God calls us to learn and to grow and to believe more and more. So so the first surprise I, I see here in this section is this appearance to the women. And the second surprise is is the reality that it really was a struggle for the disciples. And I want us to really dwell on that because I think that's a big barrier for people today to believe. I think it's a big barrier for people that have never put their faith in Christ. And I think really it's a big barrier for those of us that already have put our faith in Christ and everything's kind of going cool, we're walking along in our life and then, and then we get struck with a terrible disease, right? Or then something horrible happens or then someone we loved uh, betrays us or someone that we love gets hurt. And we can kind of walk along and we can kind of believe and then our world may fall apart and we may struggle to continue believing. And I just want to encourage you that that's the same world the disciples lived in too. The disciples lived in a world where dead people didn't come back to life. The disciples lived in a world full of death and decay and pain and sin and suffering just like the world that we live in. They had all those same barriers. And so when we're called to believe the gospel and believe that Jesus conquered death, we're not saying that we're called to believe something easy and normal and routine. We're called to believe something that's a surprise, that's a shock. There's this uh, second law of thermodynamics that says uh, that everything is in a state of uh, decay. It's the idea of entropy, that things have a tendency to lose energy and to lose power and strength and, and to disintegrate. And that, that's the world that we live in. We, we live in a world where things have a tendency to fall apart. And the resurrection of Jesus is this promise that it's being reversed. This promise that things are being made right. That we can hope that, that if he conquered death, well then maybe I can conquer death as well. And yeah, that's not, that's not the way the world works. The scientific method says, well, everything else breaks. So something getting better, that that can't be true. So we should just give up all hope now. And that's the same way that the disciples thought. They had the same doubts that we have. It's not like we're smarter than they were. They lived in a broken world where things died. We live in a broken world where things die. And the challenge is to believe. The challenge is to take hope. The next thing that I want to challenge us with is to believe the writings that we've been given. To believe the writings as I kind of got into a little bit in that previous section, we have really reliable writings, really reliable documents. And I would challenge you to compare them historically to any other uh, ancient history documents that we have. As someone that's spent a lot of time studying that, I would tell you that they're the most reliable uh, ancient historical documents that exist, the New Testament documents. Now, I had plenty of professors in college that said, well here's this verse and here's that verse and it's a contradiction, therefore let's throw out the Bible. You know, just that kind of dismissive tone. And I'm sure a lot of you that have have heard that before or maybe seen that on the Discovery Channel. I I would encourage you to look a little farther. Because like I said, Romans 1 says that we have this tendency to suppress the truth. We have this tendency as human beings to just latch on any excuse we can come up with to not believe the documents that we've been given. And I would challenge you to look a little further. I would challenge you to go beyond uh, those doubts and actually try to investigate, to actually read these writings. I want to read where in context he says that these things were written so we would believe. When did John say that? When did he write that? I I read that at the beginning when we were just getting started in verse 30. Uh, There were many other things that he did which are not written, but these are written that you may believe in Jesus Christ. Well, let's start in verse 24. So Jesus appeared to Mary and the other women, and Jesus appeared to the disciples. There was one guy he had not appeared to yet. Does anybody know? Anybody? Verse 24, very good. Thomas. We, uh, a lot of times he's known as Doubting Thomas, and I would say he should be called, uh, I refuse to believe Thomas. That, that's what I, should, I would say he, he should be called, because Doubting Thomas is a little too soft. It's a little too forgiving, I think, really. In verse 24 it says, Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with him when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, eight days later, it's a long time. Jesus let him, Jesus let him stew on that for a little while. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them. That was one of those, oh, where did you know, he come from? deal. And so Jesus said, peace be with you. I think he would generally say that when he would, you know, scare them going through doors. (laughs) Peace be with you. Verse 27, then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands? Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And this is the context where where John then writes those next verses and says "Jesus, Jesus did a lot of other things. I mean, there was miracle upon miracle. There were all kinds of things that Jesus did. And at the very end of the Gospel of John, he says there wouldn't even be enough room in the world for all the books that could be written if we were to go ahead and write everything down that he did. We'd run out of space. He says, but we... We collected kind of a best of, a greatest hits here, and we've given it to you. We've given you some of the important things that Jesus did. And we've got four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John says, I've, I've written these down so that you would believe, that you would believe, even though you didn't get to stick your finger in his side or in his hand, that you would believe. And that's what Jesus told Thomas. That's great, Thomas, that, that you believe now after seeing me it's really gracious of Jesus to extend himself to Thomas in that way, isn't it? I mean, he could have said, oh, Thomas, you're being hard-headed. You know, we hung out for three years, Thomas. You should know better than that. You know who I am. I mean, the disciples had already decided that he was God. That They already had seen him do all these amazing things. And Jesus could have just written him off. But Jesus comes to him in his doubt, in his refusing to believe, and says, all right, Thomas, here I am says, Thomas, there will be a lot lot of people after you that don't get this opportunity, and blessed will they be if they believe, even without seeing. So my challenge to us is to take advantage of the records that we have, because we are those people. We're the people that we're not here sticking our finger in Jesus' hand or his side, and we've got the opportunity to actually read these, these documents, these records of the people that were there with him. We've got the opportunity to read these, to investigate them. And really, I dare you to read them. I double dog dare you, as a matter of fact. <laughs> I, I dare you to just pick it up and read it. As I said, John, is John's. It's, I think it's the easiest one to read. I mean, there are going to be a couple of things you don't understand here and there, but, but read it. Actually, dare to hope. Dare to investigate. Dare to look at it with a critical mindset and evaluate it as, as history, as journalism. Recognize that, well, if, if it really was a religion conspiracy then they would have made the leaders look better than they really are. If it really was some kind of conspiracy, then they wouldn't have used women as the first witnesses. If it really was some kind of conspiracy, they would have worked a lot harder at making everything agree perfectly and not having any you know, questions in these documents. But we, just, we get these nice, rough, original documents as they are. We have the opportunity to investigate them, to read them, to, to see Jesus as he walked with his disciples. That's my challenge to us. The, the last thing that I want to challenge us with is is that we would believe the calling. I I think this whole section ends with a focus. Oh, there's books, yeah. we got a lot of books. Sorry, sometimes I skip the pictures. We should believe the calling that he's called us to. That that we actually have a purpose. And and we see this in the restoration of Peter at the end in in chapter 21. In chapter 21, I'll kind of summarize it because it's it's about 20 verses. And I think a lot of you are probably familiar with the story. So apparently Jesus has appeared to the disciples, so they know now that he has resurrected, but they're still confused about what they're supposed to do with their life. Jesus has spent three years uh, living with them and traveling with them and training them, and he's trained them to teach, and he's trained them to heal people, and he's trained them to be the leaders of this new movement, of the new people of God, uh, this church that he is building. He says, the gates of hell won't prevail against this church. It, It will move forward, and he's trained these guys to be leaders. And he's called them to it. And then in 21, after the resurrection, after they've seen him, you see the disciples going back to fishing. You see the disciples going back to their old calling, to their old vocation. And Jesus appears to them. They're they're out fishing. They don't know what to do, so they go back to what they're good at, right? They go back to what they're successful at. Uh, Peter's an old fisherman. They go out fishing, and what happens? They fish all night, and they don't catch anything. So... Even the thing they're good at, they're being broken. And you may be at that place in your life. Sometimes God uses those kinds of experiences to draw you back to himself, where he takes what you're great at, and even in that area you feel weak. Even in that area you feel like, even this thing that I've always been able to rely on, even this thing that I've always been good at, it's not working for me anymore. And that's where Peter is, and it's at that moment that Jesus appears to them again, on the shore. And he says, hey, why don't you put your nets on the other side of the boat? And they're thinking, yeah, great great suggestion. As they do that, they start to catch all these fish and John realizes that, it, that it, it's actually Jesus. When John tells Peter, Peter is always the rash one, he jumps out of the boat and tries to swim to go see Jesus. And so then Jesus already has some fish on shore. Apparently he's already been fishing himself. He catches some fish already. He's barbecuing the fish already there. And I wanted to encourage, I told this to the earlier service, I want to encourage you that that at least there will be barbecue fish in heaven. I think barbecue beef maybe too, brisket, maybe sausage. But at least we know that there's Jesus eating barbecue fish in his glorified body, right? There's no more sin, no more pain, and he's still enjoying good barbecue, and he's grilling it for the guy. So they they have this meeting there on the shore. And he takes that opportunity to restore... Peter takes that opportunity to restore him. Because if you remember, Peter was the one who most boldly promised to be the man and follow Jesus no matter what. And then Peter was the one that most boldly rejected him. Peter was the one that more than anybody else said, no, I don't know him. No, I don't know him. He cursed at people and said, I do not know this man. And so Jesus comes to him in this moment and he says, Peter, do you love me? Peter's like, yeah, you know, we're cool, Jesus. You know, we're all right. He says, well, feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Feed my sheep. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Then feed my sheep, Peter. And he restores him back to that calling. He says, lead my people. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. Fill them with the stories. Fill them with my word. Help them to understand who I am. Go back to the calling that I've given you. And I know a lot of you are thinking, well, that has nothing to do with me because I'm not the leader of the apostles, right? I hope you're thinking that because you're not the leader of the apostles, None of you are, just to be clear. But we all have a calling from God. We all have a calling from God. And it's seen really clearly in Genesis 1. When, when God sets up Adam and Eve in paradise. And He says He's made them in His image. And He says He wants them to rule and reign and have dominion over the earth. And to spread His glory all over the earth. Our calling, just like Adam and Eve's calling, is to reflect God to the world around us. To bear His image. He created us in his image, and he wants us to reflect his image to the world, to reflect his love and his justice to those around us. So whether you're an apostle or a fisherman, whether you're a school teacher or a soldier, it doesn't matter what your job is, but we all have the same vocation, the the same calling. We are called by God to reflect him to the world around us, everywhere that we go, everything that we do. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, whether we eat or drink, we do it all for the glory of God. No matter what it is, no matter what we do in life, our calling is the same. So we all have a calling. And I want us to believe that as well. I want us to believe the shock of the resurrection that Jesus is actually moving against the death and decay that we all know. And to believe that he's actually given us historical records that we can read and understand who he really was. But also to believe that he's restored our calling. Just as he restored Peter to that very specific calling... Through salvation, through walking with him, through faith, he restores all of us to that original calling that we have as human beings, that we would walk with God, that we would bear his image in the world around us. We, we all have a calling. So I want to challenge you this morning. Do, do you believe it? Do you believe that you have a purpose? I found a picture of a uh, knight being knighted there. This is a famous old picture. You may have seen that. Um, but but it's, it's the concept that we've been commissioned. We're being sent out. This is picked up again at the end of Matthew 28 in what we a lot of times call the Great Commission, Matthew 28:18 through 20, where he says, Go and make disciples of all nations. He's, he's basically saying, Multiply my followers throughout the world. Take this, what I've given you, this good news, and take it and multiply it among every people group, every tribe, every kind of person, every neighborhood. Take this and share this. Spread me, spread my fame, God tells us, through the world. So it takes that, that broken commission that Adam and Eve broke and rebelled against in Genesis 1, and through the cross and through Jesus we're restored and we're, we're given that calling again in the Great Commission at the end of the Gospels. We're, we're told to go and bear his image, to spread his glory throughout the world. And I want to challenge you this morning, not only does he restore you to life, not only do we have hope that will conquer death, but because we have that hope we can live a life of purpose. Because we have hope, because we don't have to be afraid of death any longer, we can live a life of generosity. We can live a life of a calling where we give ourselves to the orphan and to the widow, where we actually care for our neighbors, where we make friends, where we work, where we love people well, wherever we go, where we use the power that we've been given to, to judge things justly and to make sure that people are taken care of fairly where we honor God in all the actions that we exhibit. That, that's part of what we have to believe this morning. That the resurrection not only promises conquering death, but it promises conquering a, a life of, of no purpose. He, he restores our purpose. Well, as we conclude, I just wanted to, uh, to let you know that, that I, like you, continue to struggle uh, to, to receive and believe all the messages and all the warnings that I'm sent in life. Um, it, it's hard sometimes to listen. It's hard to, to believe what you're told. Just two weeks ago, um, it was about 5.30 in the morning, and my alarm was set for like 5.50. It was a Sunday morning, and my wife just kind of sprang out of the bed and said, something's burning. And she could smell something burning in the house. Uh, and since it was 5.30 in the morning, though, I, I kind of thought, no, I don't, I don't think so. I think everything's fine. We'll be okay. Go back to bed. You know, and I just... That was my first instinct, was, was to not believe. To just want to go about my business and think, no, it'll, it'll be fine. Just, just like we want to suppress the truth and suppress the warnings that we're given throughout our life. I just thought, no, it just, it'd be a lot easier to just keep sleeping, wouldn't it? I wanted to go back to sleep. She's like, no, something's burning, I smell it. So, so being a, a good husband, I got up and I thought, okay, well, I'll, I'll love my wife through this. I mean, she may be wrong, you know, but... I'll go ahead and investigate, kind of do the obligatory husband thing and kind of make her feel protected and cared for. So I got up and I start sniffing around and I thought, wow, she's, she's right. I, I do smell something burning. I, I should have listened to her the first time. And, and I smell something a little more in the bathroom. And I smell a little more in the closet. I don't see any smoke in the closet. I was starting to have flashbacks to, you know, to four years ago or five years ago, however long that was. And then I go around to the other side. There's a bathroom on the other side of our bathroom out in the hallway. and go out there and, and open the door, and there's, there is the fire. There, the the countertop is on fire. Uh, cultured marble, it burns, just so you know. That cultured marble, it looks like stone, but it's not really stone. There must be all kinds of glue and stuff in there because it was just flaming. We had left a candle overnight in this, you know, this kind of fake marble kitchen, or not kitchen, but fake marble sink here, it's burning. It's on fire. It's about to catch the wall. So we had just caught it. And I'm glad that I listened to my wife. I'm glad I believed her testimony. I didn't see it for myself. I didn't smell it. You'd think I'd be more gifted in that area, but I'm not for some reason. I just don't pick things up there. My wife, you know, she smells these dangerous things and she knows before I do. And so I know I should listen to her sensitivity. And that, that's the call that we have. And by the way, I, I was able to blow it out, just so you know. Um, so we just moved the picture frame to the other side to cover the black spot there. But, uh, but that's, that's where we find ourselves. Are, are we going to believe the testimony of friends that say, there's something burning. Something's, on, something's not right with the world. Or are we going to keep suppressing the truth and say, no, oh, fine. we'll We'll be okay. Let me just sleep a little longer. That's my challenge to you this morning is, is, is to wake up, to rise up, to believe, to listen to the testimony of others, to believe that it's true, and, and to dare to hope, to dare to believe this surprise of, of a resurrection. It's not how the world normally works, but it's, it's the promise of a future where, where death will be done away with forever. To, to believe the writings, to actually read them for yourself, to investigate, and to believe that God is restoring you to a life of purpose. He's not only saving you from death, but he's, he's giving you a life to share with others. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you save us. We thank you for the resurrection that we're promised in your son Jesus. I pray that we would have the faith to believe and that you would transform us and that we would transform the world and the community as we walk with you in faith and belief. We pray all this in Jesus' name.
0: Amen. There we go. Thank you. And yeah, this is one we haven't sung before, but it's such a, a great Easter song, I think, and, and uh, it talks about coming awake and the call as the church to rise up from the grave, um, as we've seen that Jesus had the power to do, that, and that he gives it to us. So let's sing these words together. Reboot.
1: we thank you that you have triumphed over death, and we thank you for Jesus and his resurrection. I pray that you would help us to live in light of it, that we would come awake, that we wouldn't keep ignoring the messages, but we would believe, and we would take action. Lord, we thank you. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for,
2: for life eternal. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.